0: The, the hockey playoffs just started yesterday, and I don't know if many of you are interested in that, but I enjoy sports. I wish Travis was here. Like want to talk to him about all the stats or whatever. But I was thinking about that and what it in what it means to be an athlete. Especially on a team as you belong to something. You know an athlete's work doesn't begin on the court or the racetrack or the rink. If you if you live your life as an athlete that way, you don't get very far because you show up and you trip and stumble on your skates because you haven't and you, you're out of breath or whatever. You can't work well together as a team. An athlete's work really begins with the everyday training and lifestyle and a pursuit of something. Pursuit of maybe a gold medal or a Stanley Cup ring or whatever it is. Success in the the world of that sport. And you can see whether their life matches up with that goal or not. It's interesting when we look at an athlete, and you can usually tell some of them are pretty arrogant. That why do they what are they pursuing, right? Now, I don't want you to be an arrogant athlete and pursue sports, even though it's great. Sports are, are a great way to exercise or whatever, be a part of something. But I was thinking about what it means to bear the name of Christ. We belong to something, we're called to something better than a hockey team. The Bible tells us that whatever we do, whether it's hockey or quilting or building a shed, to do it all for the glory of God. The king of kings has adopted us into his family. And so the Christian is one who represents God as a son represents their father. And our daily walk is meant to be in line with who we are in Christ. God wants us to live as we have been called. So if you would turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, continue our series through the book of Ephesians, and we'll be looking at Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. We want to consider the importance of our lives matching up with our calling. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. As we've gone through the first three chapters of Ephesians, we've been building really a foundation on the gospel. A picture of who we were without God, and now who we are in Christ. And now we come in chapter four to this command. Command that flows from the gospel. And, and really kind of marks a shift. It's the second command in the book. The first command is remember who you were. And, uh, and now it's the, this command marks a shift from talking about who we are, which is necessary foundation, to how we are to live in christ in his power and his strength by his spirit but it all flows from this knowing christ and his love and his power and his grace we keep coming back to the gospel and i want to bring us back to the gospel every time we come to these commands we're commanded to walk. Walk is another way to describe how we live every day of our lives. And so we're charged to live worthy in a manner that is worthy. That word uh, worthy has the idea of uh, a scale. And you picture a scale. I don't have one to bring with you. I don't own one like an old school one. And you bring in bringing up the other beam of the scale, so that both are equal. You see they match up. They're of equal weight when it's balanced. And uh, so it, we're called to have a life that matches with, that looks like our calling. Now naturally we have to ask, what is that calling then? What is the calling to which You and I have been called. Call of God is the the summons of God on our lives to salvation and to union with the body of believers. Where God calls us to himself, he reconciles us to himself so that we might be brought into a relationship with him in Christ so that we who were not sons might now be his adopted sons, so that we would belong to him. We see this calling throughout Ephesians, chap- uh, Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Chapter 1 praises God for giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then Paul prays in Chapter 1, verse 18, that we might know the hope to which he has called us. And he has been talking about all of these blessings, these things that God has called us to, that we are chosen, redeemed, adopted. He prays that we would know the hope that comes with our calling unto the Lord. Chapters two and three go on and they don't use the word calling, but they speak of salvation by grace that is not of ourselves. And so it is God's work of bringing us to himself and not only of us individually, but chapter two and three talks about bringing the Jew and Gentile from two totally different walks of life. They hated one another. each felt superior in their own way towards the other. And Christ brings Jew and Gentile together into one body in Christ. All of these themes, these uh, ideas of being chosen, saved by grace, made one new family in Christ, speak in different ways to us of the calling, the summons of God, upon our lives, really the who we are in Christ that we're to live out. So to be called by God is, as Paul says in Romans 1-6, to belong to Christ, to bear his name. And naturally, such a calling has implications. Chapter 1, verse 4 tells us God has chosen us for a specific purpose, to be holy and blameless, set apart for himself. Perhaps maybe this makes it even more obvious when Paul is talking about salvation by grace through faith in Ephesians 2, verse 10, what does he say? Saved, not of yourselves, the gift of God. Does anyone should boast? Yeah, man, I'm I'm losing it here, but it's right on my page, so I'll read it to you. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. Oh, so we should live in these good works. God has a purpose. Now, what did the previous verse just say? The one that I could quote said, uh, this is not of yourself, right? It's not so that you should boast. So these good works don't work backwards and I'm paying my way to heaven. But they are the purpose for which God has called us to himself to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ is the goal, the purpose of our calling. So that, um, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And now Paul turns to the importance here in 4, verse 1, of the importance of our lives matching up with this calling. And I spent a little bit of time on this verse because it does mark a shift where we're going to talk more about this Specifics, I hope, of what this looks like. There's some wonderful, not just do this, but encouragements of the Lord will work in us and do this, and uh, it's all because of Christ as we look back to chapters 1 to 3. Now, what does it mean to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul, he doesn't give us a nice uh, four-step or twelve-step answer, but he does talk about in verses two and three some of the qualities that God desires in our life, some of the things that should characterize the attitude and the thinking of our heart. Let's read Ephesians four, verse two. With all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace we're called first to humility not a popular idea these days or any day literally it means low mindedness back in the day a, a Greek philosopher, uh, Epictetus, I don't know if I said it right, he put it on his list of uncommendable qualities, the things that you should not seek after. But biblical humility is, is not uh, a uh, rejection of self. It's, it's uh, looking to God for a word rather than ourselves the world talks about low self-esteem and high self-esteem or we call pride and we kind of pit those two against but really the big problem is who are you looking to are you looking to yourself you looking to god for worth and meaning loving him above all So humility, biblical humility, involves a surrender of ourselves to God and his purposes. And thinks of the other person as more significant than themselves. Because understand that our significance isn't in me, not look at me, but it's in God. And what a wonderful God he is. His grace, his holiness, his love, his righteousness. Pointing to him rather than to ourselves. You know, the most wonderful commentary on this attitude, I think, is found in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Where we are told to have the mind of Christ. And what did Christ do What well, he laid down his privileges? And he came as a servant. And he came as one who was willing to die in obedience to and submission to his father out of love for us. Christ ultimately is our example in humility. But not only our example, he's the only way it's possible. For apart from his love, we cannot love. Apart from his love, we will always look to ourselves, forgetting what he has done. Second quality that God desires for us to to have is gentleness. Gentleness has the idea not of weakness, I mean... Jesus and Moses were described as gentle or meek, but it's that idea of controlled strength, self-restraint. I got my temper under control, and but it's more than that. Sometimes we stop. Oh, you, you hold it back. Well, that's not gentleness. That's only a part of it. It's also outwardly, not just keeping in my anger, but thinking of the other, being sensitive, being kind in the way that we approach them. And this, to me, is is the uh, the hard part. Pantilness renounces harshness or violence, and it doesn't seek to master others, to force them to see our point, even as we rebuke and admonish. Is there are times for that in the body of Christ where <laughs> I need you to tell me something. God calls us to consider how we go about uh, treating one another. Calls us to the kind of self-restraint that cares about and is kind to one another even as we speak truth. Sometimes I need the bang over the head with the frying pan. But uh, being sensitive to others means that we understand and know where people are at. And we can give one another those good whacks every once in a while when it, where it's needed. Patience is, is the next one. And it comes with the phrase, uh, bearing with one another in love. Oh, I want to consider them together. You could consider them separate, but... They really go together well and speak of, of uh, not just putting up with a situation, like a, a outside of human relations, but putting up with the faults and failings of, of one another and, and uh, renouncing our own agendas and kind of come to people, this is what I got to say and do and, and here's where I want you to be, but uh, a patience as we lovingly seek the good of another. And so it's it's not about um, just what I think, but it's about what is God, where does God want them to be? By being patient in that. In it for the long haul. It's kind of a tall order. It's like. I wasn't humble and gentle and patient today, was I, Uh, when I think back? uh, I don't know. Good to think about these things, but where do they come from? How do I get this? Do I just march up and I'm going to be a humble person today? Well, uh, no, it doesn't come from outer space. It zaps you down and you're suddenly this humble person really comes from Christ and his love. That's why I brought you to that example in Philippians chapter 2. And, and that speaks not only of humility, but really I think we can see in that as we consider the life of Christ, his gentleness and his patience and his love. We consider the gospel. We find that our love begins to grow when we love him first more than ourselves. So this is something that we must keep at, continue coming back to the gospel, coming back to, I was saved by grace. and Therefore, I can be patient with this person because I know I once was impatient, And angry and hateful towards others. And uh, to be willing to repent and, and not just admit it, but commit to how does God want me to live? This is what I long for. I don't want to be an impatient person. Repentance turns to God. Be eager. We often think of the desire, right? I have a desire to um, be, to want unity or whatever. But the desire by itself is nothing. This idea of eagerness is the the kind of desire where we we act upon it, a a going after, working at, with determination, seeking to maintain unity? Do we do all we can with eagerness to work things out with one another? Or maybe is our focus to take sides, to harbor bitterness, our desire is to I'll I'll maintain unity. I'll I'll be eager as long as you listen to what I think. It's not something that comes naturally. It takes that humility and gentleness and patience and understanding of Christ and what He has done to desire to see unity. Now, unity isn't based on nothing. So I want to consider the foundation for our unity, the foundation for our calling together in Christ. I want to do that, I want to read verses 4 to 6. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we've been talking about the command to do, to walk worthy, and a little bit about the being what God wants us to be in our hearts, the humble, gentle, patient as we consider Christ. Now we come to the the foundation, the basis for unity. Matters what we believe about God. What we say it is that unites us. There's many people that Talk about unity, but what are they, they meaning by it right? The apostles warned often about false doctrine. I encourage you to read sometime Romans 16 seventeen to 20 or second John verses seven to eleven and consider that unity is not. To be based around things that are contrary to the word of God. Contrary to the gospel. Warren B. Wearsby wisely wrote, the, the local church cannot believe peace in peace at any price. And he references James chapter 3, verse 17, which says that God's wisdom is first pure and then peaceable. In other words, unity isn't love without truth, but it's truth and love, believe and, and lived in a community of people who trust in Christ. The, the center of unity, when we look at this, series of seven uniting truths is, it's not me and my desires. It's God and his work. This doesn't mean that we exclude love from the picture. What does Paul go on to say in, in uh, Ephesians 4, 16? Speaking the truth in love. But the emphasis here is on more than love. Because if we forget God and his work of redemption, we have no basis for any kind of love. He's the one who brings us together. We love because he first loved us. So I want to really briefly talk about these seven things that's kind of split up into sort of a uh, three-fold structure centered around God. First, we have the the body, spirit, and hope. And we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And finally, we have one God and Father of all. Each of these is an important truth, and I know that I feel that I cannot cover them all perfectly as I studied. There is a lot to say, but I hope that we can consider and think about um, how these things are the foundation of what unites us. We don't get together here because we're a social club that just wants to hang out, right? This is, these are some of the important things that unites. Now this isn't or, or exhaustive. It doesn't cover every little nitty-gritty detail and spell it out so that if you don't agree with exactly, but it does, it is comprehensive. And so even though it needs the, they need defining, uh, this is so, uh, something, a creed, if you will, that we can look to and consider together. First, We have one body. There's not many bodies. It's one body in Christ. So it's important we consider what's going on when we we got division. There will be differences of opinion, but there is one body in Christ. And how does one become a part of that body is something we need to consider by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace. His death on the cross is what has brought us together. So to deny the cross, to deny what Jesus has done, is a denial of, of the body. It was on one spirit. Apologize if I'm going through these fast, but 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It's a very comforting truth to know that God's spirit, the comforter, the helper, teacher, is with us and guiding us. It's also, again, a measure of a way to. What what do you believe? Right. John talks about how someone has a different spirit if they believe that Jesus was not a man in the flesh. For for one example. Of that there's one spirit and there's one hope there is no lasting hope in this life or the next for anyone apart from God calling us and bringing us to himself to the work of Jesus Christ by faith in him and this is a sure hope for God has promised that he will give eternal life to those who believe in him. That he will never let us go. We need to consider what our hope is. Our only hope is Christ. Come then to one Lord. you got to consider who is our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, or some other person we think is just a good person, or there are many ways that people view the Lord. There are those who call upon Him but have not surrendered their lives. To him. Matthew 7 speaks of how many will come and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. Jesus is Lord. One faith, this has been taken two different ways, both centered around. Jesus Christ, faith in him, is our only hope in life and death. That it is by grace through faith, not of ourselves, that we are saved. And those two views are, one is it's the content of our faith, the gospel. Jude 3 uh, tells us to contend for the faith. Another option is that the faith, first our saving faith, in the one Lord Jesus Christ. One baptism. Now, I take this to be a reference to the believer's baptism into Christ. Uh, some people would refer back to the Spirit's baptism or indwelling. But it's interesting to me that baptism isn't placed alongside the one Spirit, but alongside the one Lord. And, um, and also, you know, the, the spirit of God, he has already been mentioned, right? Spirit who indwells us. So um, I'll look to references such as Romans 6:1 to 11, Galatians 3:27, Colossians 2:12, which speak of the believer's union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Either way, it's speaking of our relationship with God and through his work, what he has done, uniting us to himself. Some others take it as the actual act of baptism, the ordinance of baptism, um, which it certainly is a sign of an inward uh, reality. Lastly, we come to one God and Father of all who's over, who's sovereign over, working in, through, and intimately involved with is working in, or over all, through all, and in all. Just to sum these up, it's God, notice, in all these things, and, and it's God's work of grace. That's the foundation for why you and I, who are, in many ways, we're not maybe not quite like the Jew and Gentile, but we are separated. We're different, right? God has brought us all together into one family. He has called us to himself. He is our salvation, and he is at work over, through, and in His people. So it began with a a command, an important command, ends with this encouraging reminder of the things that unite us. A reminder of the God who holds us together. I just want to encourage you to know your calling. We're called to belong to Christ. Christ. To be holy child of god loved by him and united into one body of believers through god and his work bringing us together into one body indwelt by one spirit with one hope of eternal life one faith in our lord one baptism into christ and one god and father who is over us, working through us, and in us to live our calling. To know these things and consider them. to Understand, what what am I living for? What am I seeking? Who am I looking to? And secondly, we are to live our calling. How are are you living? How am I living? Does our life look like the athlete who works out on game day and doesn't have a care in the world the rest of the, the time? Or does it match our calling to represent the name of the Lord? Does our life bear the good fruit of Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Or is the primary fruit that comes from our heart the opposite? It's not easy to evaluate our lives, and often we can beat ourselves up. We need to ask for God's wisdom, help of one another to see what we are blind to. Ultimately, this life that matches with our calling only comes from looking to Jesus. We can't conjure up these qualities. We need to seek to know and love Christ. Because it's out of the overflow of the heart that we live. Matters that our lives match up with our calling. Remember that in Christ... We stand as those called out by God unified in Christ best of all 1st Thessalonians 5:24 I would like to close with it says that he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it Amen